I'm Jerome Hudson, Breitbart News Entertainment Editor, author of the book 50 Things They Don't Want You to Know About Trump, sitting in for Breitbart News Editor-in-Chief Alex Marlowe. This is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. Did you know there's a conservative advocacy and benefits organization with more than 2 million members and counting? AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. AMAC has become one of the most impactful conservative organizations in America. Joining AMAC gives you access to money-saving benefits, cutting-edge news, and a magazine full of insightful takes on today's most important issues. But most importantly, AMAC is working tirelessly to preserve the freedom secured by our Constitution. With a full-time presence on Capitol Hill, AMAC is pushing back against the efforts to defund our police, weaken our borders, and replace your freedoms with government control. Stand with me and over 2 million patriots by joining right now at amac.us forward slash Breitbart. That's amac.us forward slash Breitbart. The benefits are great, but the cause is greater. Join today at amac.us forward slash Breitbart. On today's show, we dove deeply into the Supreme Court, striking down Joe Biden's vaccine mandate. We also heard clips from Arizona Senator Democrat Kristen Sinema's Senate floor speech in which she pretty much killed any hope for Democrats to pass their federal election takeover bills. I do want to start there. The Supreme Court just dealt a massive blow uh, to Joe Biden's uh, policy. The Supreme Court in the decision six to three striking down Biden's massive vaccine mandate on employers. The court did uphold a smaller mandate on health care workers, though uh, this from Ken Klukowski. Workers can still opt out of that mandate if they have a religious objection or medical concern. And so essentially, essentially, uh, Joe Biden's vaccine mandates um, have have basically been torpedoed. Quote, uh, OSHA has never before imposed such a mandate, nor has Congress, end quote, end quote the court's opinion, uh, NFIB versus OSHA began, quote, indeed, although Congress has enacted significant legislation addressing the COVID-19 pandemic, it has declined to enact any measure similar to what OSHA has promulgated here, end quote. So Ken will break down uh, everything for us, how we got here what these decisions mean um, if you are say a, 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 a healthcare worker what your options are going forward from him here ken is one of the smartest legal minds on the planet frankly arguing before the supreme court on several occasions and so um the optics of this is what i quickly want to shift to now it, it's amazing to me that joe biden is continuously being put in these positions but it's not shocking, though. I mean, this was a bad idea to begin with. I'm pretty sure in all the hours of meetings spent with White House attorneys and, le- and, and senior legal counsel, like I'm, I have I, I want to believe that the overwhelming majority of the people in that room were saying we could try this. We could go for it. But this Supreme Court, as it stands, is probably going to 
to to to shut most if not all of this down and essentially that is where we are here but the arrogance of brandon i'm pretty sure he made the final call he said to hell with it fire the torpedoes anyway and it has like so many other instances in his in his very young administration blown up in his face I want to play audio of a man in Howard Dean on MSNBC pretty much summing up for me what I, I expect will be the, the, the corporate media reaction to this uh, in the days, if not weeks, to come. Producer Steve, that would be cut seven. The disturbing thing about this court is in their right-wing ideological zealotry, they have substituted their judgment for public health judgment, which they're totally unqualified to do. This court is a threat to the United States of America. Um, the government has a right and a duty to protect us. And this situation is going to actually kill probably more Americans that died uh, in certainly in World War II. And maybe even if we keep going at this pace, it'll kill more Americans than died in the Civil War, which was the, the war which did more damage to this country than any other. Uh, the court is just not helpful. They're not using common sense. They don't want to use common sense. And it's a real threat to democracy. This decision, this is actually a threat to individual lives. And there'll be a great many of them in seven figures as a result of this. It's just that that is that is what we're going to get a heavy and steady stream of absolute nonsense. I have no idea what the hell Howard Dean is talking about. A Supreme Court decision striking down a, a, a mandate um, for every employer in the country that has over 100 employees to mandate that all of their employees be vaccinated is, go is going to kill more people <laughs> than died in the Civil War. I just I feel like that's going to be our reality for the next nine months. And it's it's not just an idiot and, a you know, uh, a failed presidential candidate and you know, head of the DNC like Howard Dean. But that that's the thinking. Those are the talking points that we're going to get from the left. This is all they have is hyperbole and, and race baiting and, and hysterics. I think most Americans are breathing a sigh of relief. Um, I, I It is a little cringy that so many of these decisions that frankly come down to, you know, just a whole lot more tyranny. And, you know, the status quo, which should be as much liberty as possible, actually continuously come down to like court decisions. We've seen several of them in, in the past year where, you know, juries were, were getting it right. But we were all sort of on pins and needles, um, <laughs> sort of hoping that, you know, uh, our peers would come to the right conclusion, present it with the evidence. Um it's a little bit cringy, but, you know, this this is the system that we have and it is always hard on these on these days and in the you know, the days and the weeks leading up to the Supreme Court decision, because they're the Democrats control every level uh, lever lever of power in Washington, D.C. Kavanaugh joined Roberts in the healthcare employer mandate, they joined the other three liberal justices. So, you know, there you go. I think Ken will weigh in on his opinions about Kavanaugh so far, but these things are just too razor thin. And, you know, conservatives, Republicans being in the minority, it's always a little bit cringy, but this is a good thing um, for the country. Um, this was an overreach from the beginning. I am just a layman. 
I mean, I attended a couple law classes at Florida State. And so we'll, we'll get deeply into all of the different machinations and the minutia of that court decision, how we got there and where we go from here uh, with Ken in the next hour. I, I want to, to jump from one fail failure of the Biden administration to um, another. Joe Biden, ladies and gentlemen, is disappointed, <laughs> uh, by the way, in the Supreme Court ruling uh, against his overreach uh, and his attempted power grab. Um, Joe Biden, a- as you all know, has been a-, a raging lunatic since Tuesday when he gave that ludicrous uh, and, and, and embittered speech in Atlanta pushing for voting rights bills. Uh, so where we stand now is that the House passed on Thursday what they called uh, uh, freedom to vote uh, acts um, that would essentially eviscerate just about every Republican attempt in these laws passed in over 30 uh, states to actually instill voter integrity. This from Sean Moran at Breitbart News. The House voted to concur in the House amendment to Senate amendment to H.R. 5746, an unrelated NASA bill that serves as the legislative vehicle for the Freedom to Vote Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. The legislation passed 220 to 203, which featured overwhelming Democrat support and a few Republicans backing uh, the legislation. House Democrat leadership discussed their strategy to help the Senate pass their voting bills Wednesday night because the two voter bills will be sent to the Senate as a message from the House. It is not subject to any initial filibuster by Republicans to start debate on the floor. However, this will also mean that it will be harder to end debate on the floor. These 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 bills, essentially, when they get to the Senate, will still need 60 votes to invoke cloture and vote. Uh, have the full Senate body vote on the legislation. So so what has happened is that Nancy Pelosi brought a vote for the Freedom to Vote Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. Um, And they attached it to a NASA spending bill. (laughs) So just just completely unrelated, like something that the Senate has to vote on this this NASA legislation. Nancy Pelosi just just attaches these two voting bills to it and is now sending it to the Senate where it will die and Joe Biden will have egg on his face again. The country will be saved yet again uh, from 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 a disaster of policy from Joe Biden. But this I, I don't understand how Nancy Pelosi. I mean, I know that they're signaling to their base that they're trying to do everything that they can. But this is going to end yet in another failure for Joe Biden. And that failure uh, could be largely attributed to Kirsten Sinema, um, the Democrat from Arizona. Uh, yesterday was was basically her day. Um, she came out forcefully on the Senate floor and rejected Joe Biden's plea to just basically destroy the 60 vote filibuster threshold. I think for the longest time since day one, she's been uh, against that plan. Joe Manchin as well. But uh, Kirsten Sinema on the House floor while Biden was actually meeting with Democrat Senate senators trying to basically pressure them to blow up the filibuster. Kristen Sinema gave a speech basically defending the mechanism. Producer Steve cut one. Eliminating the 60 vote threshold on a party line with the thinnest of possible majorities to pass these bills that I support 
will not guarantee that we prevent demagogues from winning office. Indeed, some who undermine the principles of democracy have already been elected. Rather, eliminating the 60-vote threshold will simply guarantee that we lose a critical tool that we need to safeguard our democracy from threats in the years to come. Cinema continued uh, on this line. A lot of a lot of swipes at Republicans there, like sort of sneakily and underhanded in that first clip. But the larger point is that she's rejecting everything that Joe Biden wants to do, everything Chuck Schumer wants to do to get all of the bills passed that they want to get passed. They need 60 votes for all of this stuff and they can't do it. She went on cut two. I will not support separate actions that worsen the underlying disease of division infecting our country. The debate over the Senate 60 vote threshold shines a light on our broader challenges. There's no need for me to restate my longstanding support for the 60 vote threshold to pass legislation. There's no need for me to restate its role protecting our country from wild reversals in federal policy. It is a view I've held during my years serving in both the U.S. House and the Senate. And it is the view I continue to hold. Turns out Joe Biden comparing this woman to Bull Connor, a racist, uh, segregationist, didn't work. It uh, didn't work. I, I, I didn't listen to her entire speech. I actually hope that she, you know, at least somewhat forcibly went after Joe Biden for just insulting her Tuesday in Atlanta in his speech, because that's what he was essentially doing. He was not only attacking Republicans who think that he's out of his mind and that that these voter bills are, are, are complete uh, overreach. But she was also uh, Joe Biden was also going after cinema and mansion, which his administration has been doing, particularly Joe Manchin, uh, for several months now. I think Andrea Mitchell of MSNBC. I do not. I did not even know this woman was still alive, let alone still on TV. Um, I think she 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 pretty much summed up. I think she's not reading from the hymnal here. Uh, the sentiment in Washington, D.C. I mean, her her network, MSNBC, admitted that Joe Biden just lost his mind with the Bull Connor reference. Felt, quote, out of character, end quote. <laughs> Here's Andrea Mitchell. Cut three. Christian Cinema did something that is extraordinary. She went to the floor of the Senate within an hour of the president coming up there to address her caucus, knowing exactly what he was going to do. And she completely embarrassed, politically embarrassed, the leader of her own party, the sitting president of the United States, and was given, you know, giving absolutely no leeway. She made it absolutely clear that she will not give on this. And when you look at the history of the filibuster, it's not sacrosanct. It's changed every number of years. So she did something for a freshman senator that was pretty remarkable. It was a total embarrassment to him. I mean, that's just, but, but it's, you know, you don't, Joe Biden, his administration, him, his handlers, his consultants, his strategists, his chief of staff, Ron Klein, I mean, all of them, they're literally like surrounding him with the rakes and just telling him to walk. I mean, and I, I don't see how we don't continue to see another nine months of this. Like, this is what what they're what they're going to be. They are this just failure after failure after failure. There's no one uh, competent in the administration. And if they are, they're a lone voice. There's certainly not enough of them. 
I mean, just you would think, right? Like th- this is insanity. They are literally doing the same thing over and over and over again, pushing bad policy and failing. And then they do it again and they fail. Um, and so the president, this is a readout from a White House official to to reporters yesterday. The president hosted Senator Manchin and, and Senator Sinema at the White House tonight for a candid and respectful exchange of views about voting rights. It's done. It's not happening. Chuck Schumer's going to bring the vote maybe sometime uh, next week. And again, folks, they need 60 votes. They don't have it. Um, and it, <laughs> it's it's just going to go down in dramatic fashion. 33% is Joe Biden's approval rating among uh, adults right now today. I don't know why they focused so much passion and so much energy after Bill Back Better went up in flames into voting rights. Like, I'm, I'm pretty sure most United States citizens, hardworking, tax-paying voters in this country care about voting rights. But those same people, many of them anyway, are being crushed right now by an economy that Joe Biden created. All of it intentional. On day one, he shot a torpedo through our energy uh, sector in this country. And surprise, surprise, gas prices have skyrocketed five dollars months ago in California. The voting rights, though, that, that's what they're focusing on. I mean, it, it, it in many ways, it makes absolutely no sense. But if you've known anything about Joe Biden's political career for the last half century, it makes absolute sense. <laughs> I'm sure I'm not the only one who's noticed everything is getting expensive. We're in the biggest economic crisis since 2008 with the government that's printing trillions and trillions of dollars. Consumer prices are the highest we've seen in 30 years. Inflation is certainly here to stay. And if the government continues its out of control printing and spending, the dollar could continue its freefall and lose its coveted role as the world reserve currency. So how do you protect your money, your retirement, your savings? Well, American Hartford Gold can show you how to hedge your hard-earned savings against inflation by helping you diversify a portion of your portfolio into physical gold and silver. They'll even help move your existing IRA or 401k out of the volatile stock market into a precious metals IRA. And they make it easy. They are the highest rated firm in the country with an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau and thousands of satisfied clients. And if you call them right now, they will give you up to $1,500 of free silver on your first qualifying order. So don't wait. Call them now. Call 866-670-7660. That's 866-670-7660. 7660 or text Alex to 65532. Again, that's 866 670 or text Alex to Senator Marsha Blackburn, the Republican from Tennessee, also joined the show today, 
and talked about the Biden administration and Chuck Schumer's radical attempt to continue to push through election bills that are essentially dead on arrival. Senator Blackburn called out Democrats who are ignoring the many crises from the border to inflation and the high cost of energy crises that they themselves created. And she also talked about the winning agenda that Senate Republicans are ready to advance in her words on day one, should they win in November? Let's roll that. Good morning and welcome back. Well, thank you. It is so good to join you. Thanks so much. (sighs) Senator, briefly, I just want, you know, your response to Joe Biden's speech in Atlanta on Tuesday. I thought it was a disgrace. I do not understand in the face of so much misery that so many millions of workers and employers in this country and every single disaster and crisis many of them created by this administration that, that the country's facing, that he would not only focus on you know, these voting bills that he knows he'll never sign into law, but to actually push for them by just denigrating whole swaths of, of, of the American population. But, but I'm just curious, just, just initially, what was your reaction to the speech? I did a telephone town hall with a lot of Tennesseans on um, on Tuesday evening. And, you know, the thing that they continued to bring up was inflation, <laughs> COVID mandates and lockdowns. Uh, they are concerned about what is happening with Schumer and Pelosi. Schumer trying to blow up the Senate, change the rules, pack the court so that they can get their agenda through, which is to radically transform this country. It's what Barack Obama told us that they wanted to do during his administration. They didn't get there. Hillary was supposed to be the third term of Barack Obama. She lost. They got Donald Trump. They never accepted him. So now they feel like they've got this really narrow window where they can come in and pass this radical agenda, federalize elections, put IRS agents monitoring your bank account 24-7, take control of your kids, of their education, your health care, pack the courts, add D.C. as a state. And they feel like, oh, my goodness, time's running out. We've got from now to the end of the year. We've just got to throw long balls and hope that somebody can catch them. But it won't work. And that brings us to your colleague, uh, the Democrat senator from Arizona, Kirsten Sinema, I think making it as clear as as she possibly can that she will not actually go along with blowing up the filibuster, which makes all of these voting bills that the House just passed on Thursday dead on arrival. They'll, they'll They'll never become law. But, you know, Chuck Schumer is going to bring them up for a vote anyway. That is correct. He wants to show that he is fighting because he is so afraid that AOC is going to run against him in the Democrat primary for the Senate race later this year and that she will beat him because the left will say, you've not been leftist enough. So what Chuck Schumer is doing is having all of his members walk the plank on issue after issue so that he can protect his political hide. That is what is happening. But as you're pointing out, the American people aren't buying this. 
people don't want this. This is not what they voted for. They voted for Joe Biden because they thought he was a moderate. He was going to take the temperature down. And he hasn't done that. And I thought Cinema showed a great deal of courage yesterday when she went to the floor and she said, this divisive nature needs to end. The, the filibuster needs to stay in place. You need to be able to get 60 votes to bring an issue to the floor to have a discussion on the issue, not to pass it, not to vote for it, but put it on the floor and discuss it. After she made her speech, Manchin came along Mm -hmm. and said, I will not support in any way, shape, or form, and that is important. He will not support a change to the filibuster. So this just Hmm. shows uh, that in an equally divided Senate, you are going to have people that you've still got these three or four moderate Democrats that are in the Senate, and they are not going to support Biden and Schumer and what they're trying to do, which is to railroad this country into a socialist agenda and take away the rights of millions of Americans. That is Senator Marsha Blackburn, Republican senator from Tennessee, joining the program right now. That, 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 that's the point. There's an arrogance to this administration and a bitterness. Um, and I think we see it in, in, in a few different manifestations. What's happening to our border, our Border Patrol agents, many of them facing firing uh, if they do not get the vaccine. Uh, meanwhile, they are apprehending or in many cases not able to apprehend individuals who are breaking our laws and, and coming into the country. And the ones that they're apprehending aren't even being tested. Um, and we also see this 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 rage as from the from the president himself in 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 that 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 angry speech that he gave on Tuesday. And the other manifestation we see is the arrogance of actually trying to go for the mandate in the first place. Your reaction to the Supreme Court rejecting the Biden administration's employer mandate and in, 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 in giving yeah. uh, medical uh, professionals the opportunity to to reject it if they have a religious or medical exemption. Yeah, and this was a both of these decisions were a big win for the cause of freedom and to take that employer mandate away and leave it to the employer to work with their employees as to how they want to approach this. That's the right thing. You know, there's not a prohibition that's going to say employers can't do that. But there's not that pro, that uh, mandate that the federal government says you have to do this. And then to go to the medical side and give them the right to say um, health care workers should be vaccinated, but to have the consideration for uh, medical or a a religious exemption. And some people have talked to their doctors. They've had COVID. I, I know somebody that they're in their third round of COVID. You know, mm, they've gotten yeah. it all. And they are vaccinated. <laughs> they are, they're fully vaccinated. And they still have gotten it. So what you have to do is look at this and say, hey, wait a minute. You know, there has to be some common sense brought to bear here. 
we have to learn how to live with COVID. This is a virus. It is a novel virus. Uh, We're going to have to live with it. It is not going away. As a medical researcher told me a few weeks ago, he said, you know, when you look at this, it really has kind of followed the pattern of the Spanish flu uh, from the early part of the 20th century. And we'll probably have a different strain of COVID every year. Uh, We're into our third year. We're into our third strain And what we have to do is say, how are we going to live with this? How are we going to protect people who are vulnerable? And what is the best way to handle this? And he said, you know, don't call this a vaccine because it's not, not in the nature of a polio vaccine or a smallpox. He said, but call it a shot. And periodically, we're probably going to have a new COVID shot to protect against a new strain just like we do with the flu. Every year, I get a flu shot. Yeah. And I, his, his words were well-placed. They made a lot of sense to me. He's in the throes of medical research. So he's somebody that I chose to listen to. I, I, I hear all that, uh, Senator, and I just cannot help but think uh, of the many people who, who don't live in the state of Florida like I do and don't have a governor like the one that I have who is going out of his way in our Republican-led legislature protecting parents and protecting business owners to and protecting, you know, the the, the seniors and, and those with illnesses, those the most vulnerable. Um, it, you know, I, I, my heart breaks for family members who live in these blue states with these dictatorial governors and and mayors and city councilors and i just you know lastly on this i just think that things for these people living under these these draconian restrictions are going to get much much worse um before they get any better because the the bad policy senator comes before the science tells us that omicron while very virulent is not actually killing nearly the, the the types of people that you would expect it to be given the bad policies in the in the harsher restrictions in the face of it well you're right about that and you know the variants are going to function in different ways we're yeah. fully aware of that the more uh, researchers find out about this Uh, They are saying there are some that are going to be more virulent. There are some that are going to be more contagious. Um, So there will be different strains. The important thing is we are finding ways to live with this and deal with it. Senator Marsha Blackburn joining the program right now. Senator, I uh, I've been filling in for Alex um, almost all week, and I'm starting to notice a pattern with the the, the people uh, in the audience who call in. Um, there's, I think, rightfully a lot of frustration out there, and you know, all the signs are pointing in the direction um, that your conference in the Senate and and Minority Leader. Kevin McCarthy will soon be a House Speaker. And a lot of people just want to know that not only will the Republicans gain control and majorities in the Senate and the House, but that they will have their act together and on day one be ready to govern, be ready to actually protect the American people when it comes to immigration. 
be ready to actually enact finally some sort of a national uh, school choice program and and actually get a handle on the rampant crime and on and on and on and on. So many people just kind of want a, a, a Gingrich early 90s style contract with America, which I want as well. But I would go f- further in to say that you guys and gals, you got to you, you got to govern and do it this time. And I know it's not easy. And I know the prospect of having a president that would sign any of the good legislation that you pass into law isn't a reality until January 2025. I get all of that. Um, but can you just sort of speak to um, the, the people who I think are hopeful, um, but but are still a little bit bewildered? Yeah. Yeah, you know, and I appreciate so much the support that these individuals show us, the way they continue to fight for freedom. And as you remember, when we took control of the House in 2010, we were we did have a new style contract that we had brought forward and we did pass the repeal of Obamacare, and we had replacements for how we would reform the health care system. Across state line purchase of health insurance, portability of health insurance, uh, lots of things that would have uh, updated the health care marketplace via the private sector, allowing you to keep your doctor, you to have control of your health care choices. Now, we passed all that in the House, and as you remember, it failed in the Senate by one vote. And my hope is now that you have many of us in the Senate who are more conservative, uh, people who were in the House at that point in time, that Mm -hmm. what you're going to do is to see an agenda that is brought forward. When you look at the issues that are important to people. They want to make the Trump tax cuts permanent. They want to have school choice. COVID has taught us that people want to do that. They want to make certain that we deal with crime in the streets. And one of the first ways you do that is to secure the southern border because of the drugs, the gangs, the labor crews, the sex trafficking, the human trafficking coming across that border Every town's a border town. Every state is a border state. And right now, we have a fentanyl crisis. That fentanyl is flooding into this country, into our community streets. People want to see us support our military. Afghanistan was a debacle. They're worried about what they're seeing out of the new axis of evil, which is Russia, China, Iran, North Korea. And they're saying our allies need to know that we are with them and will not desert them. And our adversaries need to fear us. And China is an adversary. They are not a friend, a frenemy. They are not a competitor. They are an adversary in China. The Chinese Communist Party is intent on global domination by the time we get to the midpoint of this century. Senator Marsha Blackburn, Republican from Tennessee, joining the program right now. I, I, I love this because if we're talking about 
the coronavirus, if we're talking about the dead and the misery and the pain and anybody suffering as a result of this virus, I think I think at the forefront of our mind and also the centerpiece of the conversation has to be China. And Beijing is responsible in so many ways to this. I was I was happy to see that you uh, were a co-sponsor on, on my senior senator, Marco Rubio's bill that would allow the Treasury a Department to impose crippling sanctions on, on Beijing. Um, this is the type of legislation that, that I think just has to be in the top 10 piece, pieces of things that are done to hold this country accountable. Oh, absolutely. You know, the sanctions, sanctioning the Chinese Communist Party, sanctioning their leaders, not allowing our Olympians to go into Beijing for the Olympics, um, making certain that we're holding them accountable for COVID, for the genocide they're carrying out against the Uyghurs, the brutality they've carried out against the Hong Kong freedom fighters and the Tibetans and the Mongolians, uh, disallowing products that have been made with slave labor there in Xinjiang yeah. province disallowing them into our supply chain in the United States. Uh, those are all steps that we should take today on a bipartisan basis. Yeah. Good luck. Uh, the, the, the president's family is, is, is financially uh, in alignment uh, with, with, with Beijing connected companies. So I don't, I don't know if we're going to get bipartisanship on the other side of the aisle, but 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 I do I do like what you're what you're saying and what you're thinking. I just don't think that it's it's going to happen. Um, another another thing it will uh, not happen. If we're not trying to make it happen, right? And the more we talk about it, and the more we push, the more likely it is to happen. That is true. Um, I think there's governance, uh, Senator. You know, should the elections go in the way that I think we all want them to go. But then there's also oversight. Um, and, and we see time and time again right now with the January 6th committee. Uh, and we saw it throughout President Trump's tenure. The Democrats do not hesitate to use the power of of, of investigations and probing as as reckless and as unnecessary and frankly lawless as they have been. I think there is a lot of clamoring out there from the people should you uh, Republicans take majorities and people want answers for a lot of this stuff. I understand that John Durham has done good things and that he continues to investigate. Uh, the, the, I, I think the crimes committed uh, during uh, Trump's term in office. But um, can you speak to um, to that? Do you, are, you, are you in agreement that there needs to be a very robust uh, movement toward oversight? here in, uh, in, the, in the future. Oh, yeah. And uh, when I was in the House and we were in control, we did a good bit of oversight. Oversight is a big part of the agenda that Congress is to conduct. We have three co-equal branches of government, and the oversight is left to the legislative branch where the people have elected individuals to represent them and one of the premises to keep in mind is that we are to be a government of the people by the people and for the people 
Also joining the program today was Breitbart's Ken Klukowski. Ken broke down the Supreme Court's ruling against Joe Biden's employer vaccine mandate. Ken also explained why he believes the ruling is a win for freedom and how it could lead to the Biden White House's remaining mandates being struck down in the same fashion. Welcome to the program, Ken. Jerome, it's great to be with you this morning. Thank you. Uh, Absolutely. The Supreme Court dealt a massive blow to President Joe Biden's COVID-19 policy, striking down his massive vaccine mandate on employers while upholding a smaller mandate on healthcare workers, though workers can still opt out of the mandate if they have a religious objection or medical concern. That is the lead paragraph of your beautifully written article uh, describing and encapsulating uh, the Supreme Court decision on yesterday, Ken how did we get here? What exactly does this ruling mean? And where do we go from here? What we got yesterday is the Supreme Court handed down two decisions of all the vaccine mandates out there. And for our listeners, you know, these these mandates that we're all dealing with really come in in three categories. The first one are private employer mandates. We're seeing private companies that are doing this. Then the second and third category are government mandates. Let's say the second category is state. The third category is federal. Now, that's critically important because to to recognize the distinction, because states under our Constitution, states have uh, police power. And that is the term for general jurisdiction to make laws for four types of things, public health, public safety, personal responsibility, in general social welfare. Now, as people think about COVID or other uh, illnesses and the response to it, you know, our listeners can figure out how many of those boxes you're checking if you're talking about police power, but then you're talking about state governments or divisions of states like like cities and counties. Mm -hmm. Then you have this third category, the federal government. The federal government under our constitution is not a government of general jurisdiction. Instead, it's a government of what we call limited jurisdiction, or the technical term is enumerated powers, that it only has the specific powers granted to it in Article I of the Constitution. So we first of all have that, the difference between federal governments and state governments, but also there are five federal vaccine mandates, and they all have one thing in common, and that's what the, the cases that were decided yesterday dealt with. And that is those five mandates, one for federal employees, one for one for the military, we, part of federal employees, but it's under a different legal framework, one for federal contractors, and then these two big ones, a health care mandate that covers 10.2 million Americans, and then the OSHA mandate for employers that have at least 100 employees. And that covered uh, just an astounding 84 million Americans, 1.8 million businesses. And the issue with those, uh, the issue that's being asked regarding each of those spots, and that was central to the huge decision coming down in OSHA, is that within the federal government, of course, we have three branches of the federal government, and that the branch that makes laws is Congress. Now, there isn't even to begin with, there is no public health provision in the U.S. Constitution. So even Congress does not have a freewheeling power regarding health care. But you do have the Commerce Clause, which gives Congress authority to regulate interstate commerce. 
That's what federal labor laws deal here, uh, uh, concerned with. Mm-hmm. And in yesterday's the decision, the Supreme Court held that the labor laws that Congress has passed, that OSHA regulates, are, uh, uh, are, are laws to regulate safety in the workforce, but that a, a mandate that a human being get a vaccine is not a regulation of the workforce because, as, because it's, it's not just their occupation. It's sporting events. It's their church. It's their family life. It's their home life. That an mm-hmm. occupational safety regulation is something that governs your workplace, and then you leave it when you leave your workplace. They said this is an irreversible, an irreversible lifelong medical decision, and therefore exceeds uh, OSHA's authority under federal labor law. So I, I laid that broad foundation because it's, it's going to pop up again and again as we talk through all sorts of issues with vaccine mandates. But as we narrow in on the issue before the court yesterday in the big case, it was you're imposing this mandate on 84 million people, and it is not a workplace safety measure. Therefore, it is in excess of the power that Congress has provided. Therefore, it's illegal, full stop. The, the employer mandate came down to a 6-3 decision, and um, the, the, the CMS mandate came down to a 5-4 decision. There were so-called conservative justices that joined three other liberal justices in that one? Uh, that's right, Jerome. The, the three liberal justices uh, said that both of these mandates are just fine. Then the four, what I would call the four liberal, I'm sorry, the four conservative justices on the court, or if you want to be more precise, the the three conservatives and the one libertarian, (laughs) uh, the conservatives being Clarence Thomas, Samuel Alito, and now as she is showing herself to be, Amy Coney Barrett, and then Neil Gorsuch, who is conservative, but, you know, in some things he's actually more libertarian than conservative. But however you want to lump those in, uh, all four of those justices said both of these are illegal, but then okay. you have a you have a swing block of Chief Justice John Roberts and Brett Kavanaugh, and they oh, voted to strike down the OSHA mandate, mm-hmm. but then switched and voted to uphold the CMS healthcare mandate. Their reasoning being, it's uh, it, as I unpack uh, in the piece, and, uh, and I'm. Yeah. I'm completely unpersuaded by by what they say in the piece. I actually think that the dissenting opinions in that CMS decision, one by Clarence Thomas and one by Sam Alito, each of those joined by all four of the conservative justices, I, I, I agree completely with everything they said there. They said, well, you know, there is a provision in federal law that says that the Secretary of Health and Human Services, which administers CMS, the, 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 the component that, that funds that does the funding for Medicare and Medicaid. He said, well, they, they cite to a couple provisions in federal law and says that it does look here like the secretary of HHS can make rules and regulations to protect the health of Medicare and Medicaid patients. And they said, and it seems reasonable to us that if you're trying to, that, that requiring the healthcare workers that those patients are interacting with, requiring them to be vaccinated we're saying is tied close enough to the health of those patients that we think it passes muster. Um, I had a caller in the first hour call in and, you know, he, he sort of brought up the World Health Organization, um, the study that they put out this week that said that there's 
far less than 1% of the cases that they're seeing worldwide are the alpha variant. I think the overarching logic and reasoning is that the vaccines that are on the market today um, are are less, uh, they offer less protection. Um, and they, they don't actually stop you from getting the newer variants, Delta and Omicron. Uh, but, but in, but these these lawsuits, if you will, um, I, I guess the, the crux of them are just the vaccine mandate. And then the but the vaccine doesn't actually stop you from contracting the disease. They do overwhelmingly save you from getting, you know, very severely sick or dying, but they don't stop you from contracting the disease. And so I guess there's 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 massive cognitive dissonance there between millions of Americans uh, particularly the ones who would have been affected by this uh, mandate had the, the Supreme Court ruled far differently. I think it's hard for people to sort of square the difference between the policies coming out of the Biden administration and how the medicine is actually working in reality. Uh, yeah, three-part response to that, Jerome. First of all, uh, it's, it's, your point is well taken. My My first thing would be, None of that came up in yesterday's decision, sure, yeah. because what the court was not looking at yesterday was the effectiveness of vaccines. It was instead the question of whether the lawmaking branch of the federal government had empowered these agencies in the executive branch of the federal government to be imposing vaccine mandates, whether the vaccines are effective or not. So that, yeah. that's my first point. The second point is, and I should say, I'm, I, as, as of course everyone at, at Breitbart News knows, uh, I, I am a practicing attorney, and part of my legal practice is I am involved in, in several of these COVID mandate, uh, uh, vaccine mandate lawsuits that are mm-hmm. going on in federal court right now. Uh, I, I was not involved in the two that were decided yesterday, so I'm just speaking as a, as, you know, as a contributor and an analyst on that. <clears throat> but, it's, um, but regarding vaccine effectiveness... Uh, you know, and I look, I'm I'm a pro-life guy who is also vaccinated. Uh, yeah. And uh, it, but but it's it's not an issue about effectiveness. It's an issue of people's rights of conscience and 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 where the legal authorities uh, lie here. Mm-hmm. What we find is even against the first version of of uh, of covid alpha, uh, as you could call it, that even then the vaccines start to wear off in effectiveness 20 weeks after administration and that these later variants. Uh, like Delta and Omicron, the vaccine is less effective against them than it was the the earlier variants. Now, it does appear, uh, and the studies are still coming out, it does appear that there are lasting benefits from the vaccine, like the severity uh, of your symptoms, whether you end up in the hospital, uh, but that it looks like those benefits do not include uh, keeping you from getting COVID over the long term, uh, especially with these newer variants. But my third point would be uh, it, it, is, it, is a, it is a real shame for this country that we are having to rely for studies out of not just the World Health Organization, but yeah. Israel, England, Finland. We have the finest medical research uh, uh, capabilities in this country with the CDC, with the NIH, with parts of the U.S. government here, and it is just shameful that it's not the U.S. government putting out world-class studies so that we understand all this. You have to wonder where the funding is going and why is the Biden administration not putting all of its uh, efforts towards doing these studies ourselves 
so that uh, lawmakers, policymakers, corporate employers, and individual Americans can make the most informed choices. Ken Klukowski, he served in the White House Office of Management and Budget and the U.S. Department of Justice, and he is a Breitbart News contributor, brilliant legal mind. Ken, uh, where does the Biden administration go from here on vaccine mandates? Are there any more pending uh, lawsuits um, that are outstanding? Where things go from now, Jerome, is with those other mandates that I mentioned. Even here, the OSHA mandate uh, is, is under the Commerce Clause of the Constitution. It's regulating commerce. Medicare and Medicaid isn't Commerce Clause. It's the Spending Clause of the Constitution. These are programs that Congress funds. And I think we do see a distinction, and the administration is going to see this too, in how the Supreme Court is looking differently at the kind of strings that, uh, that can be imposed for a federally funded program versus trying to regulate private, purely private business. These remaining mandates, employers, civilian employees, military employees, and contractors, mm-hmm. all of those are about the federal workforce. Those are all tied up in court right now. The federal contractor mandate is currently under a nationwide injunction imposed by a U.S. district judge in the Southern District of Georgia. Uh, the, uh, and then the military mandates and the civilian mandates, those are, there's over a dozen lawsuits going on in different parts of the country dealing with all that right now. None of that is yet at the Supreme Court level, uh, though it's, uh, there are, so we don't know where that's going uh, yeah. at that point, because what happened yesterday, both of those cases, neither one clearly dictates the outcome regarding federal employees. I would say that all of those mandates are likewise illegal, but they are illegal for separate reasons, and there are issues that are still working their way through the court. And that's, you know, Border Patrol agents we're seeing now, hundreds of them, as it's been reported, are uh, are coming down with the virus. And so there, there are labor shortages um, in in a situation in the government in which there's already resources stretched thin. That that mandate um, would would involve employees of the federal government like that, um, whether or not those Border Patrol agents can or cannot be forced to get the vaccine. Uh, that's right. All of whom are being right now threatened with termination. Now, right. we, we have seen some federal employees that have already been fired. In the past few days, some employees have been receiving religious accommodations. And I think the reason is it's the ripple effects from these decisions mm-hmm. that that already the administration is seeing. When they started this, they thought they had the righteous moral high ground, that this is just an unmitigated good, that, of course, they have the power to do whatever they think is right. Uh, and that the idea that during a public health emergency, we can get away with whatever they want. Now they're running into a buzzsaw with the courts where the courts are saying, look, the Constitution doesn't go on vacation, even during a pandemic. There are still legal uh, rights involved here that the questions in these cases are not, uh, is COVID bad? It is. Or are vaccines effective? The question is, who gets to make these decisions? And they're just saying the federal, the executive branch of the federal government cannot make Uh, these decisions unless Congress has authorized them to. And there are even limits on what Congress can do. You get into religious liberty issues. You get into the First Amendment of the Constitution. You get into a federal statute called the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. And all of these federal employees 
have all of those rights. They have all of those entitlements under the U.S. Constitution. And those are all the issues then that are before the courts right now for these remaining mandates, which cover millions of our fellow citizens, including, Jerome, the best among us, members of the U.S. military and members of federal law enforcement who put their lives on the line, like the Border Patrol, who put their lives on the line to try and keep all of us safe. We saw a a year in 2021 in which, you know, a lot of decisions were left in the hands of jurors and they they seem to in most most of those cases come to the right conclusion uh Kyle Rittenhouse Jesse Smollett um it's a little bit cringy though to me because I just have to assume Ken that the White House counsel the lawyers um they they had to have known that this would likely be the outcome but the Biden administration went for it anyway, and it's it's almost it's always just a little bit cringy that it kind of has to come down to, you know, a very important body of the federal government in the Supreme Court. But, you know, this this thing could have kind of easily gone the other other way. I, I mean, maybe not as easily, but it, it could have gone the other way. Um, it, I guess my question is, is just the arrogance of the Biden administration. I mean, I mean, I could be wrong. Maybe maybe his advisors told him that the, that the mandate had a good shot standing up in the Supreme Court. I, I don't I don't think that's true, but I'm just a little bit stunned um, overall by the Biden administration, the governance. I mean, it's just been one crisis and calamity after another. But this one going for this. Um, and I and I do think going forward, he's still going to continue to to pump out rhetoric, encouraging uh, pr- private employers to essentially, I guess, break, <laughs> break the law. Um, but the arrogance of going for this, uh, it, it's still a little bit stunning to me. Well, two points on that, Jerome. First, with these cases, uh, these will all be decided by judges, not juries. Uh, juries determine yeah. the facts. But judges decide the law, and these will all be purely legal questions, so it'll be judges doing it. Regarding what their assessment is, uh, I, I actually think that their honest assessment, that they look at the law through such liberal legal eyes, that, uh, that they did think all of these uh, measures were going to be upheld by the courts. Uh, I, I think that they expected that courts were going to read federal executive power as broadly As they read it, and in fact, the liberal justices on the court, the three of them, they all did, in fact, read these cases that same way. They they all said that all of this was legal, including the OSHA mandate. So I think that that the far left mentality of the Biden administration in the White House and in other places, I think that they thought, surely we have the authority to do it. Surely when we say something's an emergency, surely the courts will say we have the authority to do whatever we're trying to do here. So I think they did expect that. And that's where I think that they're going to be a little shell-shocked coming off these decisions. And I think that's where we're going to start seeing a number of religious exemptions being granted to employers, because now they see that that's not the case regarding the courts. And I want to add for the benefit of all of the healthcare workers who are listening to us right now, yesterday's decision, depending on your objection to the vaccine, you may still have grounds for protection because the Supreme Court in its decision yesterday explicitly noted that the regulation it was upholding uh, expressly mandates exemptions for people who have a religious objection to taking the vaccine 
or a medical issue where their doctors do not think they should take the vaccine. So people can be talking with their employers. They can be uh, they can they can be exploring uh, those options because the Supreme Court, they weren't they were not just silent about it, Jerome. They were explicit. They mentioned twice that this mandate requires exemptions for people who have religious or medical uh, objections to the vaccine mandate. So if the reason people don't want to take it, if it's religious as opposed to political, they have grounds for demanding that kind of relief. Ken, thank you so much uh, for the, the insight. It's very, very well, thank uh, much you, Jerome. appreciate it. Great to, have a good one. Great, All right. great to talk with you. Great to talk with your listeners, having a chance to participate in the news here rather than giving <laughs> legal advice. But it's great to uh, it's great to unpack this uh, for our listeners. Your audience is the best. Yeah. No, we're blessed to have you. Thank you. I got American parts. I got American faith. In America's heart. And that's the show. Thanks for supporting the podcast and Breitbart News. This is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. Thanks for listening and goodbye.